Hi friends, it's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 32 years and counting. I really should say aloha because I spent the last week riding the wild surf in Hawaii. Specifically in the island of Kauai. You want to see what paradise is on earth? Make a visit to Kauai one day. You'll see waterfalls just busting out of these green hills. Volcanic rock. I'll tell you all about it as the show progresses. Today's topic, today's guest fascinates me. He's calling in. From the East Coast, it's Frank Sachaki. Frank is a PhD, the world's expert in needles, in pointy needles, curved needles, straight needles. He works for the biggest suture company in the world, Ethicon. And as a surgeon, if you tear your rotator cuff, tear your Achilles tendon, tear your ACL, whatever it is you've torn, Or I have to sew up an incision that I make electively to do your knee surgery, your hip surgery. The needle and thread, the sutures, it's a fascinating subject because you think all the points are the same, but they're not. I use curved needles, straight needles, pointy needles, not so pointy needles, fat ones, skinny ones. Think about it. If you need your cataract done, the lens of your eye, how tiny that stitch must be. And yet, when I need to attach a torn tendon that's pulled off the bone in your shoulder or your knee or your hip, I need some thick suture material that won't tear, that won't let the rotator cuff tear again afterwards. This is an entire science, but I want you to think about something that's fascinating. I'm making a hole in the tendon to reattach it, and yet I need it also to be filled. In other words, if if I'm taking a cancer out of your colon, it's a pipe, your colon, your guts, I'm making a hole in that pipe to pass the sutures once the cancer's removed to realign the two ends of the pipe because the tumor's now gone. Or if you have heart surgery and there's a big clot to get around the clot, I need the blood to flow through that pipe. I have to sew the two ends together. But if it's not watertight, it's going to leak and it'll fail and you'll bleed to death. 
or the poisons from the inside of your gut will get into your belly. You'll get an infection and sepsis and die. Yes, it's different, my world of medicine, than sports, but it's also very similar. You need to make a hole to pass the suture, the thread through, but at the same time, you need it to be watertight. This is a fascinating topic for me, and you know how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, and the world of surgery, and I see them as the same. Where in the world of art and the world of sports do you see the whole idea of not leaking after you made a hole in something? The precision of it all. Well, in the world of art, a Russian Jewish immigrant born in 1902, I'm going way back, his name was Nathan Swartz. He was a shoemaker which is all you could do when you were an immigrant coming to this country in the early 1900s. And that's what his family did, generations of his family. It was hard work, long hours, and you didn't get paid very much. But this young boy had a dream, and it was to redesign shoes. What does shoes have to do with what I'm talking about? Well, it was Nathan Swartz as a 60-year-old who dreamed up the idea of making a waterproof boot. Yep, he invented Timberland, the company that changed the world because you can now wear a boot that was waterproof. How it became so popular that even the great Biggie Smalls, listen to his lyrics from the 80s, because every rap star from Kanye West to Jay-Z to Biggie Smalls to Nas, they all wore Timberlands. And they love their, their boots because they were waterproof so much, they put them in their lyrics. Listen to Biggie Smalls. Pink Gators, my Detroit players. Tim's for my hooligans in Brooklyn. He's not calling them Timberlands. He's calling them Tim's. And they're yellow. And they're suede. Here's Nass. Listen to him talking about his suede Tim's. And wipe the sweat off my dome, spit the phlegm on the streets. Suede Tim's on my beats, makes my cipher complete weather cruising. The fascinating, world-changing revolution in footwear seems a minor topic, but it actually is not. The same challenge in the art world, in what we wear, making things waterproof, making that needle and thread work and seal it tight with precision is really the answer. Well, where in sports do I see this topic? And again, I take you on a journey every Saturday. Ten and a half years I've been doing this. You get into the mind that I have and what I see. Where's that similarity of precision of a needle suture making a hole but sealing it up? This week... We saw the creative juices of John Morant in the NBA. He doesn't just play basketball above the rim, flying through the air. He's at the top of the backboard if you watch how he plays. But early in his career, he missed a lot of shots because it's not so much that you're flying in the air, which is impressive. You also have to make it count, meaning... You can't miss the dunk. And when you're up that high, it's not so easy. 
Who could walk in the air long before there was a John Morant, long before there was a Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan? It was Julius Irving. Dr. J could walk in the air. Listen to Magic Johnson and Cooper talking about playing against Dr. J in the 1980s in the NBA Finals. Their amazement. This is a particular shot he made along the baseline, walking in the air, but also making the dunk count. Man, he did a move, which is the all-time greatest move I've seen. Magic and I were sitting there, and we were sitting right on the baseline. And when Dr. J left his feet, he didn't know what he was going to do. When we cut him off baseline, he started walking in there. Got the ball in one hand. And we said, wait a minute, he's got to come down. There's no way he can stay in the air that long. It's not so much magic that he stayed in the air, as you know. It's that he actually put the ball through the hoop like a needle making a hole to attach two sides of a blood vessel in your heart. Doc just picked the ball up with one hand without even touching it with the other one. And windmill just hit ball like, like his arm stretched from over here all the way like a rubber band. The crowd went crazy. I can't believe that play. Did he just do that? Really, did he just do that? Julius jumped over his head. Perfect. I mean, it was just like this intense release of emotion. It was incredible. It was one of those moments as a kid that's just tattooed in my, in my memory. That's Mike Piazza talking about watching Julius Irving not so much just fly through the air, but putting the ball through the hoop. Now listen to 1983, the great Keith Erickson and Chick Hearn calling the Rock the Baby Dunk. But you'll also hear in this soundbite Julius Irving telling us the most important part of it. I got to get the ball in the basket. Flying is one thing. Rocking the baby in the basketball is another thing. But it doesn't matter unless the ball gets through the hoop. And that's what John Morant, I think it's Jeff Green I saw, they miss these dunks. Flying is great, but you got to make it count. You have to have the precision. Worthy against Malone. Pass is deflected. Going to be stolen, I think, by the doctor. Yes, he's got it. He carry counts. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. To come from the, the sideline where you rocking the ball one side to the next and you got a defender in front of you. And defender knew when he got in the, when he got in the air that he had no chance. That's one of the greatest dunks of all time. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but I was, you know, was going to make sure the ball got in the hole. So I think I picked my dribble up pretty far out and you know, just decided to take my step and a half and go airborne. The precision with which he describes, he says he doesn't know what he was going to do. But he knew the end game was making sure that anastomosis, when we attach two pieces of the colon when we remove the cancer, or attach those two tendons so it doesn't pull apart, it's precision. And making a Timberland boot with stitches, and yet it doesn't leak when submerged in water or snow. Nathan Schwartz literally took that boot that he made in the late 60s and 
put it in the toilet of the Timberland Shoe Factory. That's the, that was their testing to make sure it was waterproof. That's what we're going to talk about today at 8.15. How do you make things waterproof? In a sense, you're putting a hole through something with a needle, and yet it also has to remain sealed. In art, in sports, in surgery, it seems like it's impossible. Here's more from Julius Irving in 1983 in the Rock the Baby Dunk. He's on the break, so he can't think about what he's going to do. Instincts just take over. It's just, you have to have to have that in your game, in your DNA, to come off with a dunk like that. Cooper said, I was trying to get out the way. <laughs> he and I haven't ever had a real good chance to discuss it. I know I caught a few elbows and a couple of knees afterwards, <laughs> just just out of spite. But it, was, it was one of those shots for all time. And now you hear Kenny the Jet Smith say, listen, just like Nathan Swartz inventing and changing the world with a waterproof boot, understanding precision of a needle and thread, Julius Irving was not just a seven-foot guy he was six seven, standing under the rim and just dunking. No, he put the art into flying through the air and getting the ball through the hoop. He brought precision before anybody else to the NBA. Here's Kenny the Smith talking about it. Everybody else, you know, Michael took it to another level, Larry, Magic. But Dr. J, he, he put the heart in it. He put the heart in the body. You know, he put the heart in, and everybody else came and just gave it the, the plunge, and then it, it started. But he put it without him. There's no, there is no entertainment to basketball. We'll get into it, and you're going to hear more about the Timberland story in the next segment. Clapper Vision is going to be about J.J. Watt. He's Clapper out for the season, a shoulder injury. I watched that play. This man is so big and so strong and so muscular. How could anything happen to his shoulder? He's going to have season-ending surgery, most likely because he had a subluxation, and which is almost like a dislocation of his ball and socket joint by falling on the turf. What keeps our shoulder in place? There are three things going on in your shoulder. The shape of the bone the shape of the ligaments, and muscles firing. You're going to need a clap revision for J.J. Watt's shoulder, and I'll give you a hint. You know those ears you get when you go to Disneyland and how those two ears sit on top of your head? Well, your ears are not like those ears, and that's going to be the clap revision of how your ears face forward, not just flat on top of your head like the Disneyland hat, but facing forward, we call it aniversion. I'll explain as it relates to J.J. Watt's shoulder. And later, we'll take your calls. The clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Holy emoji, clap man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. 
along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Wear Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the doc from 7 to 9 a.m. But don't miss my show, Monday morning on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. That's right. Mahalo. Aloha. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Ahui hoy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> I used to say to Dave Miller, I know a lot about the hip, but not the hop. <laughs> That's Biggie Smalls. It's Nas. See, I can't tell the difference. But I know they're singing about something that's near and dear to my heart because being the son of a carpenter. God, I remember one day going with my dad to a place called Lynbrook on Long Island. And it was great. I got to be with my dad rather than being in school. Never saw him during the week. He was working all the time. Must have been, I don't know, eight years old, nine years old. And I had on my work boots. Because, you know, I'm a carpenter now. I'm working on the job site. And he's trying to figure out what to do with me. And he was redoing a woman's kitchen in her house. I love the demolition part. So we removed the old cabinets from her kitchen and uh, put them out front for the garbage men to pick them up. And my dad, I'll never forget, he, he gave me a crowbar and a hammer. And he said, Robbie, you need to debulk these cabinets and make them flat so they could fit in the garbage better. So he said, just bang them apart, use the hammer, use the crowbar, and just separate these cabinets to make them, you know, flat pieces of wood again. Sure, no problem. See you later. And he goes back into the house to finish doing his work. And I'm walking around. And I remember stepping on a nail sticking out of one of these pieces of wood. And it was like a 10-penny nail, which is a big nail. I don't know what the 10 means, and I don't know what the penny means as you describe a nail. But it was a 10-penny nail. And I just remember stepping on it and looking at my boot, my figuring, you know, the work boot is indestructible. It's not indestructible. Went right through my boot, and I saw the end of the nail coming through the boot at the top of my foot. Okay? I, I was like, wow, that's interesting. Never realizing I should be screaming or crying or something at that age. And I remember pulling that nail out of the bottom of my shoe, the bottom of my foot, the top of my foot. And my father, God bless him, said, you know, Robbie, this happened to me when I worked on the docks, probably in the 1920s, 100 years ago. He said, you know, you need a tetanus shot. You're gonna, you know, he said, and you really, now you got to worry about getting an infection. And he told me on the docks, they used to pee on their, he peed on his hand because you needed sterile water and your urine is sterile to clean it up. I'm like going, first of all, I'm not peeing on my hand right now. And I think I should go to the emergency room and get a tetanus shot. I'm eight years old. I'm telling them what to do. Oh, God. But I had work boots. And they're not indestructible by the story I just told you. 
Hell no. But the story of work boots as it relates to sutures and threads that I use now as a surgeon is a fascinating one because there was one man, a Jewish immigrant, Nathan Swartz, who came to this country and changed the world by making a waterproof work boot. I want you to listen to the story of Nathan Swartz, born in 1902, emigrated here from Odessa, the Ukraine, in Russia with his family. It's a fascinating story of a real creative thinker. Due to the family's deplorable financial situation, Nathan was forced to become an apprentice at one of the small New York shoe stores at the age of 16. The young man did his job well, but he wasn't very happy about the prospect of being a hired worker for the rest of his life. There was barely enough money to rent a small apartment on the outskirts of New York and, on top of that, things were even worse for the elderly parents because given their inability to speak English, as well as their advanced age, it was more difficult for them to find decent jobs. And he's not working in a shoe store to sell in shoes. He's working as a shoemaker, taking a wooden mold of what a foot looks like and then taking tiny little nails and shaping leather pieces around it and then sewing these leather pieces together. Long hours, hard work, lots of use of your hand in a pulling, stretching, strength type of way. This way, the once successful family of hereditary shoemakers was forced to virtually starve, cooped up in a 20 square meter room. Seeing how his elderly parents were forced to eat nothing but stale bread, the young man clearly realized that he had no other way but to strive for something bigger. Since the only area of his expertise was shoemaking, he set the goal of starting his own business. There's nothing more powerful than a dream, a dream in a young person's mind. It's indestructible. However, as it often happens, his dreams didn't really fit into his reality. It took Schwartz more than 15 years of painstaking work under his uncle's supervision to finally save the necessary amount, which would allow him to at least get closer to his dream. By that time, he was the most ordinary 31-year-old shoemaker with absolutely nothing special about him. Like millions of other people around the world, he got up early in the morning and worked hard until late at night, when he could no longer feel his hands. And he probably would have quit this difficult and underpaid job, but he had a dream, which he wasn't ready to give up on. He didn't give up on it. He's 31 years old. All he can save, all he had saved at the time was $2,000, but that was enough to buy half of a shoe-making company. The man decided to invest his modest savings of $2,000 earned over 15 years into buying half of the Abington Shoe Company. After that, it took him another three years to fully take over the company, becoming the sole owner. So now he's 33 years old, and he owns a tiny little shoe company, shoe-making company. But he still has those dreams. He wants to be something big and make a big change. It was very difficult at first, but some of the newly established connections helped him to stay afloat. It was a small workshop that made simple but high-quality shoes. Production grew every year and more and more employees were hired. The shoes were mostly sold in local shoe stores and the production quantity reached 100 pairs a day. You could probably say that things were going well, but the only catch was a significant one. The company was still very little known. And he had a dream to make a big name for himself and to innovate. And he kept innovating. 
And the biggest challenge is you make a hole in the leather to put the stitches in. Well, when it rains or snows, your socks and feet are going to get wet. He's already thinking about the greatest challenge in shoemaking. The greatest challenge in surgery is sewing two structures together that have torn whether they be blood vessels, the lens in your eye, or cancer in your colon, when we take those things out and have to repair it, it's the same challenge. How do you make that shoe waterproof? How do you get that ball in the basket and not just have a high-flying act? You need to make it count, Dr. J. In fact, it wasn't until Nathan Schwartz turned 63 years old that he made a real technological breakthrough in the shoe business. Even despite the fact that he was far past his prime years, the owner of Abington didn't lose hope to get his name written into history. He constantly came up with new models, improved the existing ones, and introduced his own innovations and technologies for more comfortable wearing. However, all of this went unnoticed until the day when Nathan came up with a brilliant idea. He takes on the ultimate challenge, a waterproof boot. The sutures are the problem. How am I going to fix that? Ah, brilliant idea. Listen to this. He realized that the shoe market was lacking footwear that could withstand all weather conditions and at the same time keep its owner's feet warm and dry. That is how, in 1965, the world's first waterproof boots appeared on the market. They were created by direct molding. They fuse soles to upper leathers without stitching. Timberlands revolutionized the industry with their unique technology that allowed the sole of the shoe to be joined to its leather upper without the use of threads, resulting in a truly waterproof boot. Talk about timing. This is exactly the time that Julius Irving is at Roosevelt High School discovering how basketball is an art, the art of the dunk. This is exactly happening when Nathan Swartz, as a 63-year-old, is figuring out something called injection molding. Listen to this. The original model had 39 pieces put together in 80 steps. The first shoes were swept off the store shelves and the word about these indestructible boots spread quickly, generating a demand for them. The product turned out to be so successful that the shoes had to be pre-ordered. Back then they were only made in black, but their shape stood out from the rest, making them a coveted possession for many people. In the wake of such an overwhelming success, Nathan Schwartz unexpectedly decided to change the name of his company. Oh, first waterproof boot. This is how the Timberland trademark appeared, stemming from the words timber and land. The company chose an American oak as its logo, a symbol of solidarity and clanship. Nathan approached the matter very wisely. After all, everything from the look of the shoes and their quality of the company's name and logo indicated that this product was family-oriented, and it was very accurately aligned with the values of American society. Soon, the shoes of the craftsmen from Odessa were not only worn by strong, brutal men, but also by women and children. But what about the color? Remember, Timberlands are yellow. Why would you want that boot to be yellow? Initially, they were black. This was a brilliant idea as well. He's making them for lumberjacks. When you're cutting a tree, you better not cut your foot. You got to see your feet. You got to make them bright. You got to make them yellow. Genius. Thus, in the early 70s, together with his sons and colleagues at the factory, Nathan started manufacturing the first waterproof yellow leather boots. 
In fact, the color was chosen at random. As it turned out, Schwartz was so carried away by testing of the new model that he completely missed out on the color palette. When the manufacturing process was already launched, Nathan spontaneously suggested making the shoes yellow. However, there is another version saying that initially the shoes were conceived as footwear for lumberjacks and as you probably know, in order to avoid accidents at work such as a tree falling on one's leg, lumberjacks preferred to wear bright shoes. Safety reasons. He's thinking about all the aspects of it. But mostly, it's about how to make them waterproof. And everybody wants a waterproof boot, particularly when you live in the Northeast where the weather's terrible, including Biggie Smalls and Nass from Crown Heights and Brooklyn. It's cold. It's wet. It's snowy. It's raining. From the very beginning, the company was very serious about testing the declared water resistance property of their boots. Before getting on the store shelves, each pair had been tested dozens of times under Schwartz's personal supervision. They were left in the factory toilet and had water poured on them for several hours. But the most widely known test was the sled dog race in Alaska. This innovative footwear became famous and popular extremely fast, and the words of the yellow boots became firmly associated with the Timberland brand. Mm. All because he realized when a needle goes through that leather, it makes a hole. And that hole can allow water to come through. How do we get around that? He figured it out in the world of art. And in 1985, a millionth pair of the yellow boots was sold. A year later, Nathan's son, Sidney Schwartz, became the new head of the company. Under his leadership, the first collection of men's and women's clothes for sports and traveling was launched. By the early 90s, not only did the sales of the company grow, but also its income had tripled. Yellow boots were coveted by the youth thanks to the dominating hip-hop culture in the USA at the time. That's exactly right. Groundbreaking. Revolutionary. The challenge. Making a hole with a needle. Passing the thread through. And yet, making it with precision watertight. In surgery. In sports. You're not just flying in the air, Julius Irving. You're making the basket count. How did he do that? Mm. I also want to talk about J.J. Watt. Some clap revision. Open the clinic. The number is 877-710-ESPN. And don't forget, we have to talk about food. Where do I see sutures in the world of food? Ah, I'm going to tell you, and it involves chicken. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly here, Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. It's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip. Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. Don't miss my show, Mason and Ireland, back Monday at 1, all here on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. One morning, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. How he got in my pajamas, I don't know. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, wow. 
Listen to this song. This is a song from New Zealand. An old song. And I watched the most beautiful hula dancing in Hawaii this week. You have to imagine the dancer beautiful woman her both hands in the air her lower extremity both hips knees ankles using her hands and her legs reminding you to look up look down look sideways to appreciate the air the water the ground, and the spiritual aspect of it. Just beautiful. Mm, Good job, Zach. Time in Hawaii to recharge my batteries. I found a beach on Kauai. It's the most beautiful beach I've ever seen. But boy, those waves are treacherous. Because what you don't realize is What you see on the surface, as a surfer, I'm riding the top of the water. But what causes so many people to drown is the fact that there is an undercurrent that sucks you out. It's just just not the surface. It's very calm and beautiful to be on the top of the wave. But as a swimmer, you go in and all of a sudden you feel the suction of the lower level of the water pulling you out. You can't fight Mother Nature. You have to feel Mother Nature. Treacherous. And depending on what side of that island you're on, those currents are different. The reef, so sharp it can cut you like a knife but so worth it. Maybe one day I'll tell you this secret beach I found. Mm, is it beautiful? All right, let's take some calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to Weekend Warrior, 10 and a half years and going. Who do we got now, Zach? The lines are lit up. Who you want to take first? Let's go to Tony in Victorville. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help, Tony? Yeah, I, um, I had shoulder surgery a couple months ago. Okay. Um, Love it. I had I had a bicep tenodesis, uh, subscapular repair, open shoulder, and I had arthroscopic uh, labrum debridant and synovectomy. Yes. You you had a what's okay, known so as a about, you what's known as a smorgasbord. You you got like brunch. Yeah. You got uh, pancakes. You got eggs. You got lox and cream cheese and bagels. You got. You know, is it breakfast? Is it lunch? Is it dinner? You got the whole enchilada in your shoulder when you describe 
biceps tenodesis, rotator cuff, labrum. The only thing you didn't do is replace the shoulder with titanium, but I have a feeling that may be next for you with all that you had done there. But anyway, how can I help you? First first of all, how young are you? What do you do for a living? I'm 60. I've done a lot of different things. Right now I'm doing some financial planning with a friend of mine. Where'd you grow up? Um, What'd your father do for a living? My father's primarily a salesman. He's in the restaurant business for a long time, but then into sales. And where'd you grow up? What high school? On Ontario, California, Chafee High School. Oh, wow. At 60. So tell me about what Ontario was like when you were in high school. Were there orange groves? I mean, it certainly wasn't built up like it is now. Was there an airport there at the time? What was it like to be in Ontario in the 60s? Well, there. yeah, I lived in South Ontario, so right below it in Chino, it was nothing but dairies. And they're, wow. they're all gone. They're all gone. Um, in Rancho Cucamonga, it was nothing but orange groves. Now it's all houses and you know real estate is that sad for you to have seen that change yeah yeah especially the dairies it it was nice to drive you know just a few miles from my house and you just have all these you know dairies and cows and farms and wow yeah must have been just a bunch of housing tracks did you ever make it to the beach or you stayed in ontario oh no we used to go to newport beach all the time wow that's great what college you go to I went to Chafee College, Cal Poly. Uh, didn't finish, but hmm. I got four or five years of different stuff <laughs> on my resume. <laughs> All right, tell me about your shoulder. What you do to yourself? Okay, so everything was going awesome. At, at the four-week point, he cut me loose for therapy. I went to a place that had a combination of land and pool therapy. Mm-hmm. And about the seventh therapy session, I started to feel some, some soreness I hadn't been feeling. Mm-hmm. And for the next couple of therapy sessions, we took it easy. Then I had my uh, eight-week appointment with my doctor. I told him, hey, all of a sudden I'm getting this pain. And he goes, you know what, we better shut it down. I want to get you an MRI just to be on the safe side. So I got the MRI, and there's just a couple things on here. I, I'm not sure what I'm reading involving the the procedures that I had. So go to the impression. Don't go to findings. Go to the end of the report and then read them slowly so I can interrupt you with some clap revision. Okay. First, before I, uh, one part it says in here, I have a uh, detached infraspinatus and supraspinatus that can't be fixed because it happened a long time ago. So that's part of it. But the other part says status post subscapularis tendon repair and bicep tenodesis. No recurrent subscapularis tendon tear. Okay. Um, chronic circumventional degenerative tear and fraying of the glenoid labrum, mild to moderate osteoarthrosis of the glenhumeral joint, no fracture. Right, so that's your problem right there. That's your problem right there. My best clap revision for you is as a son of a carpenter, don't give me new linoleum in my kitchen if you know that termites ate the floorboards. If your brakes are squeaking and the mechanic says to you, you you cracked your rotor, but I'll get rid of the squeaking. I'll give you a new, I'll sell you a new pair of brake pads. No, I don't want new brake pads if my rotor is cracked. I don't want new linoleum in my kitchen if I know the floor is rotten with termites, right? You don't want to do that. So when you do massive surgery, 
to the linoleum, to the brake pad, when you know this termites or the rotors cracked, you got trouble. The key word of all the terminology is the word moderate arthritis. Moderate means that there is significant cartilage damage. I don't mean the rubber cartilage, the labrum, like the meniscus in your knee. I'm talking the cartilage on the end of the bone. Without a rotator cuff up above, supraspinatus and infraspinatus that's torn, and bone on bone in essence of the ball and socket joint, you are basically going to need a reverse shoulder replacement as your next solution here. You don't have to have it tomorrow, but please do not have any more arthroscopic surgery. Please don't let anybody talk you into $10,000 worth of stem cell shots and PRP and cortisone and Synvisc. Be holistic. No needles. There's nothing wrong with trying to get your strength with range of motion with physical therapy and to really unstiffen the joint, but I have a sneaking suspicion it's all going to be for naught. You're probably going to end up needing what, in my opinion, I probably would have done knowing that you had a dysfunctional supraspinatus and infraspinatus rotator cuff and moderate arthritis. I would personally, my opinion, you know, everybody gets to do whatever they want, uh, but you're certainly headed for a reverse shoulder replacement to give you pain relief and range of motion. It's not an emergency, um, but I just want you to be treated properly. That's all. Does that help? Um, yeah, as far as the debridement of the labrum, um, yeah, big so deal. I it? it doesn't matter. Don't don't. I don't want to. I don't really care what kind of scratches you got in your linoleum if the termites ate the wood underneath. Right? So labrum is, is the linoleum. It's superficial stuff. You're, if you've got right. damage that's deeper, as we say in New York, forget about it. Who cares? Who cares what the brake pad looks like if, if they're telling you your rotor is cracked? You've had enough life experiences, enough jobs in your life. Being from Ontario, you know what it's like. To live a life, and when people are telling you, come on, let's go clean stuff up, don't don't put new paint on my house if you know that the two-by-fours are completely busted. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not interested in the, in the paint on the outside of the house if the inside of the house has got bad plumbing. And that's basically what you're dealing with now. So, no, enough. You had a valiant attempt at trying right. to make stuff right, but... You can go to therapy. You can try to make things right. You know, try to get your range of motion. As we say in Yiddish, geg is into hag. You get to do that. But I believe in the long run, you're going to end up needing a reverse shoulder replacement from what it sounds like. My opinion. Uh, uh, one last question. Yes, sir. Um, the soonest I could get in to see my doctor is the 17th of November. In the meantime, he shut me down from therapy completely. And my therapist and myself are concerned of leaving it without doing anything to it for that would be a month yeah you need a second opinion you need to say i'm not here to solicit patients or anything like that but you need okay good that's fine he's allowed to be busy and all the rest you go i think you need a second opinion anyway do you still live in ontario yeah um i'm already dealing with a really highly renowned well-respected shoulder surgeon i know you know him i don't want to say any names um, you need a second opinion. 
You know, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. And if they confirm what you your first guy said, then that's great. But uh, you need another opinion. So get yourself, you know, go Google and however people find people, ask your friends. But there's nothing wrong with getting another opinion. This is America. Last time I checked, it's still America. You're free to get another opinion. And you and don't feel like you're you're insulting anybody. I the only person I care about right now, Tony, is Tony from Ontario. I don't really care about anybody else's feelings. This is your body you're talking about. So you're not you know harming anybody's feelings. You got to do the right thing. The softest pillow to sleep on at night is a clear conscience. You care about that, so do I. That's what you need. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Listen, you're asking me for, for my advice. I'm giving it to you. You don't want to take it. That's up to you. But you should take it. No, I, I'm just saying based on who my guy is, and he, I'm sure that's fine. He's I'm sure I'm not. I'm that, not throwing that, uh, any rocks at anybody. I, I just want you to get better. Mm-hmm. That's all. You should get another opinion. Yeah, and it, I mean, I don't know what he's even going to tell me. It's just that it's three weeks out, and. You need someone to feel your shoulder, look at the studies, look at before, take the photographs that I'm sure he took during surgery. They need to go over you. You need someone to take a look at you, and then you could go back to your superstar afterwards. That's fine. Listen, you're a total stranger, Tony. I'm helping you, whether you take the help or not. You t- you Today, you find a total stranger. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. Okay? I will do that. All right, young man. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. God bless you, and good luck. We'll take a break. We'll pay some bills. Lines are all lit up. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Get smart. Just what are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar sinai head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. And Sedano, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Sometimes you can call me Smokey. Sometimes you can call me Rocky. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Today I want to be Tito, Dr. Tito Clapper. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I heard Tie Me Down. I guess that's a suture-like song you got there, Zach. Thank you. Can't wait to talk about tying down in food. There's a chicken out there that you gotta have. And they have this white garlic sauce that is in a little container and you dip the broiled chicken into it. But the reason the chicken tastes as good as it does is because you're using sutures. And I'll explain a little bit later in the show. Clinic's open. The lines are lit up. Who you want to take next, uh, Zach? Let's go to Michael in Reseder. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? 
Hey, good morning, Dr. Clapper. Hey, appreciate taking the call. Love the show. Hey, Thank I you. had a... Uh, How young are you? What do you do for a living? I'm uh, 62 years young. Oh, nice. And what do you do and, for a living? Yeah, aerospace. Nice. Okay. And where'd you grow up? Uh, Cold Spring, New York. All right. Good for you. Nice. All right. How can I help you? What's not, up? Not on, not, not on the island, up in Garrison. Got Hudson it. Hudson Valley. So just Hudson yeah. Valley. So I had the I had the meniscus uh, surgery um, five years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, and and my orthopedic, who I love, told me he said, "Listen, you're still going to have occasional pain, like a toothache. You know, just a lot of swimming. You know, do the normal things." However, in the last year, and I try to be conscientious about working out. Um, I've had a couple of times where there's been inflammation in there to the point, and most recently, two weeks ago, um, on the elliptical, working out pretty hard. Now it's to a point where right after that, I had uh, almost, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the worst of pain, probably about a good 8. Mm. And it is now at a point in the morning when I get up, it, it's, it's really uh, painful, but as the day goes on and taking Advil, it, it subsides quite a bit. But there's, there's definitely something wrong. And the other thing I'll share with you, the pain comes from the inside of the knee where the meniscus and then back up into the lower uh, uh, back in that area. Al- almost like drawing a line from the bottom to the top. Well, let me uh, give you... You listen to the show, you know what Clapper Vision is? I do indeed. Okay. This is a, a wonderful opportunity for the technology that we have in diagnosing people that we didn't have before, that we have now. And what I mean is history, like you just gave, and you're a great historian, and I love that. Physical exam, the ability to feel your knee. So if if you're sitting down, I want you to feel your knee, and and the Weekend Warriors listening can do this as well. Feel your kneecap. Pretend it's a clock. Feel the top of your kneecap. That's 12 o'clock. The bottom of your kneecap is 6 o'clock, and then you have 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock. Take your finger and go to 6 o'clock feeling your kneecap, and now take that finger and go straight horizontal in one direction and straight horizontal in the other direction from the six o'clock point. What you're pressing on now is the joint line. And that is where the meniscus lives. If the pain is exquisite and sharp at that joint line, then the trouble on the physical exam points to the connection between the femur and the tibia where the meniscus lives. But when you take not an x-ray, but an MRI, what's so special about an MRI for you and your problem is this. You can now not only see the surface, the linoleum, but what I need to know as an orthopedic surgeon is, is there now edema, bruising, black and blue mark, contusion, Whatever trabecular microfracture, there's all kinds of fancy schmancy words that we can use. But to understand, do you have termites in the floorboards under the linoleum? An x-ray cannot show you that. 
And if your MRI does show that, that there's edema underneath the surface, and it will, that's the elegance of the MRI, and you don't need dye injected, by the way, it, that's, it's painful and, in my opinion, unnecessary. Just a regular MRI of your knee, and it shows edema. And I don't mean just the report of the radiologist. As an orthopedic surgeon, I want to look at it myself, and I do with the patient in the room. Then you are going to need to take care of it, not with another arthroscopy. No more linoleum surgery. No more meniscus cleanup surgery. The only one who benefits is the surgeon because we get paid to do that procedure. But life cannot be all about how much money you make and how many procedures you can do. You have to do the right procedure. And you are suffering with potentially not only the loss of the meniscus in what it looks like, but its function. You don't have a shock absorber, a cushion anymore to hold that beautiful motor oil, joint fluid, synovial fluid in the joint, and you're literally banging the two bones together. Yes, modifying your activities is helpful, more pool and more bike, but you're doing all those right things. I would love an update of what the hell is going on, not just the surface, but under the surface, so that you can plan for the future and get the right kind of advice. So I need you to tell your orthopedic surgeon that you got a second opinion from Dr. Clapper to please order a new MRI. And I am, my pleasure, my happiness is if you want, get the MRI, you call here at 7.30 next week, the week after, and we'll put you at the front of the line, and I will translate with Clapper Vision exactly Clapper what you should do next with your knee that is talking to you. Okay? Okay. Thank you, Dr. Clapper, and I'll do something nice today. All right. God bless you for thinking about us and listening to us, and I appreciate it. All right, Warriors, getting close to the end. I'm going to be telling some stories as it relates to my guest at 815 who's calling in, who's an expert, a Ph.D., an engineer, who thinks 24-7 about needles that I use in surgery. He works for Ethicon, the larger, largest suture and needle company for surgeons in the world. He thinks about curving a needle, straightening a needle, dulling the tip, sharpening the tip. What's the me metallurgy, the shape, the material itself, and how do you make a hole and then seal it at the same time so it doesn't leak? We'll talk to him at 8.15. But it made me think all week about sports and art. And where do we see that same challenge of making a hole through something with precision and yet at the same time sealing it? We'll get into it coming up next as I explain with some storytelling. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710. ESPN. It's good to be king, right, King James? Absolutely. And good to be courtly friends on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. I love it. Be treated like medical royalty with Clapper Vision. Feast like a monarch on Doc's delectable finds. There we go. And that far rockaway jester humor. <laughs> Search Weekend Warrior and click on Doc's regal picture. Cool. <laughs> Sound the trumpets. No cortisone, alchemy, or leeches here. Everything's good. Bow, curtsy, like, or follow the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. That makes me happy. Cheers.